0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, Thousands of people were listening and gathered around to hear what Jesus was going to talk about. The Sermon on the Mount was a time when Jesus was giving people a picture, a glimpse, into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Not just the kingdom of heaven, but I want to talk about this idea of being blessed. The title of my sermon today is The Blessed Life. What does it mean to be blessed? What, is it, what comes to mind when you think of having a blessed life? I think for most of us, we think of having a good job, a promotion, a house, a wife and kids, and good health, good well-being, peace in your mind. And those are great things, and they are a blessing, and they do come from God. But when Jesus was speaking about blessing in the Sermon on the Mount, he was thinking of something much greater, much grander than what we could possibly imagine. He was giving us a glimpse into what blessing means in the context of the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be blessed? And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, we're looking at the Beatitudes, these eight statements where Jesus talks about blessing and identifies things that maybe you and I wouldn't, wouldn't associate with blessing. But Jesus does. And I'll give you a hint. When he talks about blessing, he doesn't talk about our health or our wealth or our well-being. He's not talking about your spouse or your house. Now, when Jesus was talking about blessing, he was thinking about things that, that would last beyond the here and now. He was thinking about things that, that would carry us over into eternity, things that are in heaven and will await us in heaven, things that will be with us forever. So today, I hope that as we're looking at these Beatitudes, I hope that you shift your perspective. I do hope that your attention is, is with me, because this really is, it's, it's the most famous sermon of, of Jesus it's a time when he's talking about deep spiritual things, things that for the people who were with him were hard to understand, difficult to comprehend. Yet Jesus was teaching about things that are so profound and so important that he, he wanted to make sure that, that uh, his disciples and the crowds, the people, had, a, had an opportunity to understand them. Truly, when we think about the Beatitudes, we should think about them as an invitation. Jesus is the king over a kingdom. And he invites us to be citizens with him in that kingdom. Before we jump into the Beatitudes, I, I feel it's helpful to, uh, to understand how we should read them. And there's just a few things that I want to kind of give you as, as part of the introduction before we jump into the, the meat of this message. The first thing is that when, when you hear the word beatitude. The word beatitude comes from a Greek word that means supreme blessing. So Jesus' sermon is talking about not just blessings. Blessings can be temporary and they can be here and now and a blessing that we have today. But he's talking about something that is supreme. The highest ideal of what a blessing can be. The apex, the pinnacle of blessing. Jesus wants us to orient our mind and our perspective away from the world away from the here and now and, and our family and, and what's happening and, and what we want this year or the needs that we have in, in our own families or our lives. Instead, he's saying, think about the, the eternal blessings. Think about the future. The second thing that we should understand when we're looking at these, uh, these beatitudes is that they're all wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven. You can't understand the beatitudes Unless you understand that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's talking about something that is, uh, uh, is eternal. That, that Jesus is, is interested in it. The kingdom of heaven is associated with, with what God values, what God prioritizes, what's important to God. The third thing that we should recognize when we're looking at the Beatitudes is that each of these Beatitudes has a promise associated with them. Every single one of them. There are eight of them in total, but every single one of them, God gives us a command or gives us an attitude or a mindset that we should have and take on. But then he says there's a promise associated with them. Sometimes when I talk to well-meaning Christians, they say, You know, when we give to God, we shouldn't expect anything in return. Or when we serve God, we shouldn't expect anything in return. Don't be selfish. But That's not the mindset of Christ. That's not what Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes. Instead, for every mindset, for every attitude, for every action that he talks about in the Beatitudes, he gives us a promise. The fourth thing that we should keep in mind as we're reading through these Beatitudes is that they are conditional. These are not open-ended promises where God just gives us things or promises blessing to us, but every one of them is conditional. They hinge on our obedience. They hinge on our attitude and our mindset. When we're looking at these beatitudes, it's not multiple choice. You can't pick and choose which ones you want to... Uh, adhere to, or which ones you, you, you feel like you're, you're living up to. It's not a uh, like I, I got six out of eight, or I'm doing, you know, I, I got to work on it. I've, I've only got three out of, out of the eight Beatitudes. Instead, they should be taken as a collection. These Beatitudes shouldn't be taken in isolation. You're not just identifying one or two. But instead, we need to look at all of them in continuation. I even think that the Beatitudes build on one another. We'll see how the first Beatitude leads to the second and the third and the fourth. And I, and I do believe that. And the fifthly, the final thing that I want to say about the Beatitudes is that they're not about our happiness. God's number one mission, His goal is not just to make us happy. His desire is for us to be whole, not to be happy. Happiness is something that we may strive for and we may pursue, but happiness is fleeting. Happiness is, is based on situations. We could be happy one day and miserable the next. Maybe we lose something or lose our job, lose a loved one, and of course our happiness will be sapped. God isn't interested in our happiness in, this, uh, in these Beatitudes. Instead, we see Jesus being interested in our wholeness. He wants us to be invited into his kingdom and to have full life, abundant life, truly a blessed life. So allow me. I'm going to read through the Beatitudes right now, and, um, and then we'll start discussing them. It begins in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. And for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The first thing that we notice when we're looking at the Beatitudes is that Jesus is addressing a wide and large crowd. Some of them were his disciples. Some were people who were curious and just wanted to listen in on what this teacher and this Messiah had to say. The Bible says that Jesus sat down. I chose to sit down today in I guess maybe in honor of what, uh, in the way that Jesus presented this sermon. I think Jesus knew that he was going to be taking his time talking about deep things, and he wanted to help people to understand it. And I'm hoping to do the same thing with you today. And then it says something curious. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. It seems like an innocent saying, but I, I found that many Bible teachers, when they look at the original language, when it says Jesus opened his mouth, there was this pause. They suspect that Jesus intentionally stopped, allowed for a moment of silence. Maybe it was a little awkward waiting for the kids to get settled down, for the people to find their seat, for the crowd to silence themselves. Jesus at this moment wants to talk about something that is so deep and so profound that it deserves their undivided attention. He's talking about the blessed life what that means and what it looks like, and I think that silence is something that, 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 that worked. I think that the crowd did kind of shift their attention and lean in to what Jesus had to say, and I hope today that that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll shift our attention, silence our home, make sure there are no distractions, and lean in to what Jesus had to say about the blessed life. So let's look at it. In verse 3, we get the first beatitude. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. The first time that I read this as a young man, I, I thought to myself, what a strange statement. Of course, all the beatitudes sound very strange. They almost seem paradoxical. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I thought we're supposed to be spiritual. I thought we want more of the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus say we should be poor in spirit? What Jesus was showing us is how we enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can't enter in full of pride, full of our own righteousness, confident in our own ability to come to God. God makes it clear. Jesus makes it clear. When we come to God, we need to come to him humble, poor in spirit recognizing our own spiritual poverty, recognizing that, that there's emptiness within us, that we need a Savior, that we need God. It's, it's this that, that we see Jesus teaching over and over again, not just here in the Beatitudes, but later on Jesus will speak to the crowds and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple you need to deny yourself following jesus has nothing to do with us but it's all about him jesus goes on in the same account he says whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it if you want to find life you've got to lose it jesus says if you want to enter into the spiritual realm and the spiritual blessings in the kingdom of heaven you need to recognize the spiritually you're bankrupt. Spiritually, you're empty, that you're in desperate need of a Savior. Every Sunday, we've been having baptisms. And every Sunday, we see this, this same beatitude, this same account being played out. When a person is baptized, they stand in the, in the baptism tank talking about their story and how they came to Christ. But then they're lowered into the waters of baptism. And that lowering them into the waters is a picture It says this in Romans 6, it's a picture of them dying to themselves, dying to their sin. It's a picture of the grave. And then they rise out of that water and they enter into new life. It's a picture of the resurrection. What happened for Jesus going into the grave and then experiencing resurrection is what we get to experience every single time we see a baptism. We're seeing someone die to themselves, deny themselves, decide I'm living for Christ I'm going to embrace the life that God has for me. The second thing that we see, uh, the second beatitude is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sometimes I hear this, this beatitude mentioned at, uh, at funerals. It's often mentioned because, of course, at funerals there's great sadness and there is mourning. And the beatitude gives some hope. It gives um, some perspective that, that God does want to give hope and comfort to people. But is that what this beatitude is speaking about? Is it a blanket statement that for anyone who's experiencing sadness or mourning, that God is going to give them comfort? I don't think so. I think when I, when, I see this, uh, when I see this beatitude, I see Jesus talking about mourning in the context of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness. So why is it that we mourn? We realize that we're poor spiritually, but we're also not righteous. We realize how far away we are from God. And that's why we need a Savior. We need a God. And it's that that sadness that conviction, that realization of how far and distant we are from God that should lead to mourning and lead to sadness. There's a man that I know who's, who's new to the faith, and he talked to me about how he wrestled with Feeling distant from God. He, he said, I, I feel like I'm so inadequate. I feel like I'm so far away from God. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like no matter what I do, God's never gonna be satisfied with me, never be pleased with me. Like nothing that I do is gonna get me into heaven. And I said, You're, you're getting there. You're, you're closer to the truth. Because the truth is, none of us are good enough or righteous enough to get into heaven. When we think about our righteousness as being worthy of entrance into heaven, then we've got the the wrong mindset. Jesus says, first, you need to be poor in spirit. And it's that recognition that leads to brokenness, leads to to sadness. There's a a great author. You've probably heard this hymn by John Newton. It's called Amazing Grace. If you don't know the story of John Newton, he was someone who lived in the 1700s, and he was a young man uh, who was rebellious and arrogant and proudful, ran away from his family, Ended up signing up with the uh, uh, British Navy, served on a uh, slave ship. And it was through his life that he realized just how sinful he was and how distant he was away from God. And it was through that process that he started to mourn, that he experienced great sadness. But it was through that process, that realization, that God was able to save him. Because it's difficult for God to work on someone who's proud and arrogant And instead, the kingdom of God, in order to enter into it, we need to enter in humble. And John Newton experienced that. And then in verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's in verse 5 that Jesus introduces us to the third beatitude, meek. When we look at world history, we're reminded of people like Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan. These giant figures who would lead incredible armies that would span across the globe, across continents. And though these men were ambitious and had mighty armies and were very powerful, Jesus says it's not going to be the Khans or the Alexanders that inherit the earth. It's going to be the meek. It's going to be those who you would never expect. Jesus, when he's talking about the meek, is talking about those who are quiet, teachable, humble, submissive, these are the ones, Jesus says, will one day inherit the earth. Jesus even says that, that for his children, for those that are a part of his kingdom, that they will even reign with him on the earth, that they will even judge angels. Who would judge the angels? The meek, the quiet, the submissive, the timid, the teachable. These are the ones that Jesus invites into the kingdom. Because again, you can't come into his kingdom puffed up full of pride, full of your own ambition. And then in verse 6, Jesus introduces us to the fourth beatitude. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we renounce our own righteousness, when we recognize how empty we are, we crave God's righteousness. We realize that we're empty. We need this. We can only find it in one place. It's found in Jesus. When my wife was uh, pregnant, I remember how she had these different cravings, and many pregnant women have these cravings, you know, peanut butter and pickle sandwiches, uh, strange things. My wife, it was she craved lemons with crushed ice. That was her thing. She craved lemons and crushed ice. And then I remember for our, uh, our, our third boy, he, uh, she, she had cravings of, uh, uh, like, uh, beef and burgers and steaks. And my theory is that these cravings are because the the mother is deficient on certain vitamins or minerals, that she's craving these things that her body needs in order to grow and in order for the baby to grow into maturation. And I believe that's what's happening for those who crave and hunger after righteousness, that we recognize we need this. And we can't find it in ourselves. We can't find it in the world. We can only find it in Jesus Christ. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our source. And as you start to have that righteousness, or you crave it, you start to find places where you can find that righteousness. And, and it's in the people of God, in the house of God, in the Word of God. You start to pray. Jesus moves on. in the, Verse 7, He talks about the fifth beatitude. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What does it mean to be full of mercy? To be full of mercy, I I found one commentator who said this, it means to have an irresistible love for the weak. For those that are sick, the wretched, the wronged, the outcast, the failures and the wicked. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, those who have mercy for these Kind of people. They're willing to sacrifice what's theirs. They're willing to put aside their own dignity and their own honor for the sake of someone else. Does it sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus did. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus set aside the glory that was his in heaven so that he could come to the earth on a mission of mercy. He didn't come to people who welcomed him and, and received him as a friend and loved him and worshiped him. No, most of the world, you'll remember at His crucifixion, they were shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. They hated Him. But Jesus came on a mission of mercy to love, to serve others. And that's what God invites us into. That's what Jesus invites us into, to be merciful to those who are different from us, who are unlike us, to love them with an an irresistible kind of love, a kind of love that can only come from, from God, from, from heaven. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice, Jesus doesn't say blessed are the pure in speech or blessed are those with pure hands, but he says blessed are those with pure hearts. Jesus knew that it's not our, our mouths or our hands that make us sinful. It all starts with our heart, that if he can get our heart, then he has us. Jesus knew that our hearts aren't naturally pure. They need to be purified. Blessed are the pure in heart. When we come to God, when we recognize that He's our righteousness, He washes us. He cleanses, us, cleanses our heart. Jesus also guards our heart. He helps us to become aware of the enemies of our hearts, those things that would try to sow discord or division, coveting, lust, jealousy, those things that would try to stir evil in our hearts, God wants to purify purify us of that, wants to cleanse us from that. And then I love the promise associated with this beatitude. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These are the ones that will see God. What Jesus was trying to show us is that intimacy flows from purity. That in order for us to, To be near to God and close to God, there has to be pureness. We have to be cleansed. And that's what Jesus was outlining and making clear there. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In Jesus' kingdom, he's not just king, but he's prince. He's prince of peace, and he wants us to have peace. We know that Jesus comes, and he, he wants us to have peace with God first and foremost. But he also wants us to have peace with ourselves, with our heart, with our past, with our identity. He wants us to have peace. And then he wants us to have peace with others. And Jesus says that that we are now brought into his mission of bringing peace. That we shouldn't be content being peaceful, having peace, being a pacifist. No, he, he's saying, I want you to actively promote peace around you with others. There's a time I remember my, um, my family came back from, from a, uh, a birthday party, and of course, uh, this was a couple years ago, but they were a little younger then, and, and they, they just had their fill of sugar and cake and candy and soda and all that stuff. So they were a little cranky, but I remember they came back with these balloons, and my youngest son got out of the car holding his balloon, and as soon as he got out, he just let go of the balloon. Wasn't thinking. And as soon as that balloon went up, it was just like all of his joy and happiness went with it. He just started crying, and and he was so sad. And then I saw something amazing. I never forgot it. Our middle son, Jonathan, immediately rushed over to our, our youngest boy, and he just said, uh, I know you're sad because you lost your balloon here. Take mine. And that seems like a small gesture, but for those of you that have kids, you know how big a deal a balloon is to a little kid. And for my son to give up his balloon to his younger brother, who had just lost his, uh, it, 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 it was, I, I loved it. And I loved it because it, it reflects what Jesus was talking about here. He saw this, that that. Benjamin, our youngest son, was just distraught, and he rushed in to give this balloon because he wanted his brother to have peace again. He wanted him to be happy, to be content. Jesus invites us to be peacemakers. And peace is a difficult thing. It's not always going to happen. It's not promised wherever we go. Truly, peace is something that has to be forged and built and it takes time and it takes cooperation and people and wisdom and patience and love. It takes a lot. But Jesus invites us as members and citizens of the kingdom of heaven to bring peace, to make peace, to not just be content with the peace that we now have, but to now share it with others. Just as we've received mercy, received righteousness, We want to share these things with other people. And then what's the blessing associated with being a peacemaker? We're called sons of God. We're called daughters of God, children of God. Why? Because now we reflect our Creator. We reflect the God who brings peace. We reflect the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Then finally, Jesus ends His Statement on the Beatitudes which, with what may be the most perplexing of all. In verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'll read it again. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why would Jesus suggest that persecution was a blessing? To be clear, Jesus wasn't. Suggesting that persecution was a blessing. He was suggesting the kingdom of God is the blessing. We're not to seek out persecution. We we shouldn't have a martyrdom complex, but we should recognize that Jesus never ever promised that it would be easy to follow him. He never made it a promise that we would not be persecuted or misunderstood. Even in Jesus' own ministry, I was reading John 7 this past week, and in John 7 you see Jesus being misunderstood and misjudged by all sorts of people. The crowds of people were debating whether or not he really was a good man or a crazy man. The religious leaders said, this man has a demon. Even Jesus' own family, his own brothers, mocked him and ridiculed him. Jesus was misjudged. Jesus... With someone who was persecuted. And then Jesus says, I invite you now to join with me in my mission. Just as Jesus experienced hardship, he does not promise that we will not experience the same. It may come. And for some of you, you live in countries around the world where it happens. It happens maybe on a a daily basis. I remember visiting with um, one missionary, a missionary to India. He has an amazing ministry there. he has an orphanage and schools and a Bible school, and I shared with him, I, I know how difficult it is, and we're praying for you because of all the persecution that you experience. And this man said, thank you, I appreciate your prayers, but we're praying for you also because you don't experience persecution. And that thought had to sit with me for a minute. It, it kind of was jarring. Why would you pray because we're not experiencing persecution? Persecution. He understood something that Jesus understood. He understood that if the church is going to truly live according to kingdom principles, according to what God wants us to, how he wants us to believe and act, it means that we won't always be popular with culture. We won't always be accepted by our family, by our friends, or by society. That many times we will be persecuted because... The kingdom and the culture or the kingdom in the world, they may exist side by side. They may touch and they may come into contact, but they don't unite. They can't blend together. And we know that the kingdom of God is not going to bend to the whims of society, that Jesus isn't going to sacrifice truth or the convictions found in Scripture. We're not supposed to sacrifice those things to remain popular or acceptable with other people. And then, as if his point wasn't clear enough, Jesus continues in verse 11 and 12. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus doubles down on his teaching about persecution. It's the only one of the Beatitudes that he mentions twice. It's a way of saying it may come. It, in all likelihood, will come to you. And when it comes, don't be surprised. What I find remarkable about Jesus' statement here is how we should respond. He says, rejoice and be glad. The literal word for that is to jump up. Be joyful. Embrace it. That seems so foreign to us to embrace persecution, embrace this. But he's saying it because we are now assured of something that, um, that, that this world and the culture of this world can't appreciate. We are now a part of the kingdom of heaven. That we now have a kingdom mindset. That we are not living for this world. For the here and now but we're concerned with the world to come and that's how jesus ends his beatitudes i um i I think as we looked at the the beatitudes and how jesus looks at blessing it's helpful to to remember what jesus is saying he's speaking to a large crowd just as i am today and it's an invitation he's saying the kingdom of heaven is open to you to join, join with me in it. There's blessing in it. You'll experience some of the blessing here on earth, but the true blessing, the greater blessings are found in heaven, are found in the life to come. So don't get wrapped up in in this life and in the here and now, but be consumed and be interested in the world to come. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you wanna learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.